Well, tonight we're at the church at Thyatira, and I'll just kind of give you the geography of it. And so this church is the furthest away uh, that we would travel, that Paul would travel, uh, sorry, that John would, Paul would travel. And this is the furthest church away. It's also the longest letter, and actually it's got a lot of, uh, of teeth to it. So this is the longest passage that we have written to a church by John, and it's, it's very disturbing, a, a lot of it. Um, and so I want you to think about this just geographically, and we'll just use some local geography. So if Rustin was Ephesus, okay, if Rustin was Ephesus, then uh, we, we've been going to like uh, Calhoun. Actually, we went to Shudrant first, so that's like 10 minutes from here down the interstate, okay? Some of you not from Louisiana, you're like, you just said a word that I'm sure is not spelled Correctly, it's, you would say Chaldrant maybe, but it's Shudrant because, you know, Washita. I mean, seriously? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> easy, easy, all right? And so you have something that's about 10 miles away. Then you have Calhoun, which is about 15 or 20 miles away. Then you have Monroe that's like 30 miles away. And what you see here is this progression through these letters. If we were to look at the church at Ephesus, they're doing good things, right? Okay, and a little bit further away, they're not doing some good things. A little bit further away, they're doing a little bit worse, Pergamum, okay? And now we get a Thyatira, the furthest church away. This church no longer exists. And so in Scripture where it says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, you get this geographical picture that the devil has come where the word of God has been preached and it is stolen, it is killed, and then there is destruction. And when we look at the text tonight, you will see that destruction was forewarned. John is telling them, hey guys, listen up. It's, it's going to come. It's going to happen because you have allowed, you have been tolerant, you have been lax. Okay? So that's the geography of the lesson for this evening, okay? For all you geographically challenged people or geographically inspired people. I don't know which one you may be, but I'm glad you're here tonight. In 2008, how many of you born after 2008? Thank you for your honesty. How old were you in 2008? Eight? Ten? Ripe old age of ten? In 2008, I got this crazy idea that I would participate in a race that by its name, it defines its intent. That by its name, it defines its intent. The race is in Wichita, Texas. It is in August. And they call the race the Hotter Than Hell 100. The Hotter Than Hell 100. It is the largest bike race in North America, in the United States for sure, okay? It's over 10,000 cyclists. It is so large that they start the race with a cannon because that's the only thing that people can hear in order to start the race. In participating in this race in 2008, I would love to tell you that I finished in the top 1,000, but I did not. <laughs> But it did finish in the top 10,000 because that year there were almost 15,000 people in this race. They had some of the best weather that they've ever had. It was only in the lower 90s. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so this race starts, Wichita, Wichita, Texas is about an hour and a half, maybe an hour and 45 minutes north of Fort Worth. You race through these really bustling metropolises like Electra, Texas. It's not electric. They might not even have electricity. I kid you not. You don't know, like you heard of a one-stop town, one-light town. They don't even have lights. They're like, lights, electricity, what is this thing that you speak of? When they see someone go through on cycles, they're like, huh, new invention. Huh, it's the apocalypse. Huh, Martians, something like that. That's what they're thinking. And so you had this race. And I didn't just wake up that morning and go, hey, I'm going to cycle a hundred miles across the desert of Texas? No. I had to do like any of us would or hope to do. 
I had to train. And you've probably trained for something in your life, hopefully. You maybe have played a sport or you've done something that takes some discipline. And if you've ever done anything that requires a little bit of discipline, there's always those days that you wake up and you go, nah. It's like Monday is leg day. Yeah, you know, has anybody got Monday is leg day? Anybody? Monday's leg day for this guy, this guy. That's always tough, isn't it? He's like, Monday's leg day, and you walk in the gym, and you're like, it's Monday. You're kind of pumped because, you know, maybe you gave yourself Sunday off, and you walk in, and you go, it's leg day. Because who likes leg day? Lies everywhere, lies. All over the sanctuary tonight, lies. And so you don't like, or, or this is how it is. How about this? When somebody says, you know what? Today is wind sprint day. And you're like, wind throw up what? <laughs> you know, it's like when you were playing maybe football or running track or something. And, you know, you're a distance runner. And they say, we're going to build you up to that because we're going to run a bunch of short sprints back to back to back to back. And you're like, but I run long. And they go, run short. You go, but I run long, coach. Do you not understand? Long distances, three miles, four miles, about 26 miles. And then, yeah, the marathon. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna, but we need you to run short distances in rapid succession. You're like, coach, I don't mean to tell you your business, but running all these sprints ain't helping me. So I'm going to abstain. I'm just going to take myself out of a mix because some of those days are very difficult, right? To train for the harder than hell, I biked 20 miles five days a week, every morning. I would bike from my house to Dubach, Louisiana, and turn around and bike back. Every morning, me and two other guys, we would meet, <laughs> this is good, we'd meet at the donut shop. That's just the place we met. We never got donuts, ironically. We were that disciplined, at least. But the smell. You ever, you ever been so hungry in the morning, and you've worked out or whatever, and you pass by something like a donut shop, and you're just like, oh, my goodness. You know, it's just, anyway, so we buy. And then on the weekends, we had to ramp up the mileage because you just can't just do 20 miles and expect to do 100. You have to ramp it up. And so some of our longest rides were like 75 and 80 miles, which is in the excess of three and four, five hours on a bicycle. Long ways, long ways. So... You would think that after that, man, biking here and there, that would just be no problem, be likely spit. But you know what? Most, like most people do when they run a marathon or have a long bike race, they take time off afterwards. You're tired. You've achieved your goal. You run this or that. You're like, I'm going to take a couple weeks off, a couple months off or whatever. Let my legs rejuvenate. Let my body rebuild itself. Recover. Some of you are still recovering. You know what I'm saying? Like, season's over. Five years ago, you're still recovering. You're like, and I feel good about that. feel real good. I feel like I'm almost there. Maybe next week I'll be fully recovered. Maybe a year from now, don't know which. But when my body gives me permission to get back to the way I was at 18, the way I was in high school, you'll start referring to that soon. When I was in high school, man, I could blah, blah, blah. And people be like, this ain't high school and you ain't in it. And I bet you can't now. All right. And then when you get older, you're like, when I was in college, my intramural team, and I'm like, <clears throat> that's why it's called intramurals. In other words, no real competition. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it, you know, it's just the way it is. So you lose it, don't you? You ever been, done something that required a lot of discipline, football, basketball, whatever it was, running, cycling, playing an instrument, and it required a lot of discipline, and then you took a break. You had your recovery time, and then you jump back in it, and you go, yeah, I ain't as good as I once was. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It ain't just in a song. You feel it, don't you? You feel it? Any of you like... You know what? I took time off and I actually got a, you know, two minutes faster on my, you know, my mile time. Yeah, that's just, I went from an eight minute mile. Now I run a six. I just got out of bed and ran a six minute mile. It's like, no problem. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. 
I'll put in another metaphor for you, okay? So uh, you ever uh, had a garden or been around a garden, flower bed, something like that? And uh, the flower bed, the garden, you know, you, you got to get it ready and you get it set. And then, you know, some weeds start popping up and you, you go out there and early on in the season, you'll pull up one or two weeds. And then you're like, you know, I, I'm doing good. I feel like I can rest a little bit. And you pull up three or four weeds and then maybe you get real busy. And then the next thing you know, you turn back around two weeks later and it's like the whole thing is just full of weeds. And you're like, that's going to take a lot of daggum work. And I don't want to do the work for the reward. Because that requires a lot of discipline. Because you and I have become tolerant or lax, if you will, to the weeds, to the recovery. We've just become lax. That's exactly what's happened at this church. So tonight, through reading this, we'll gain a better picture of Christ as he relates to us and to the church and get a better picture of this relationship and our capacity for tolerating sin. Last week, we talked about being complacent and compromising our sin. Tonight, the stakes get much higher. Uh, complacency and compromising, they go uh, out the window, really. And the sin that Hebrews 12.1 talks about that so easily ensnares us now becomes a sin that is dragging us away. And so we've gone from being struggling with it to being swept away with it. And so this church, they are not struggling with it. They are tolerant. It is totally infested, totally entrenched. It has deep roots. And Christ speaks very harshly to that. So let me read to you, and you read along with me. Revelation chapter 2, 18 through 29. To the angel of the church at Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual morality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. And I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. He will rule with an iron scepter, and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the reading of your word and the blessing that lies herein. We ask that you open our hearts and minds to your will and way. Lord, let us hear from you, from your word, and let us apply it to the lives that you have blessed us with. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at the first part of this letter and gain a full picture of Christ. Let's get a really good picture of Christ. Three images are given in regard to Christ. One, he is the son of God. You say, well, Casey, I know that. I know he's the son of God. Why would John put that here? This is the only place that we find son of God in the entire book of Revelation. He's referred to as other things, but this is the only time he's referred to as the Son of God. And this mention of Christ as the Son of God is referring to his divinity, referring to his authority, his right to judge. And so it's important for us to recognize that, that John has to tell us this is the person who has the authority. This is the person who has the right to say these things. He is the Son of God. Second part that we see is Christ has eyes 
like blazing fire. Verse 18, this image is here to help us understand that Christ does a couple of things, mainly that he sees everything. He sees all. And it's not just one layer of sight. It's not that he just sees everything. That sounds really nice to say God sees everything, but he sees through everything. He sees through the layers of lies that we tell ourselves, like little Debbie's are good for me. That's a lie. But we believe it, don't we? And there's the other lie with little Debbie's. I can eat just one. Lies. Such strong lies we tell ourselves. And we'll say, you know what? I'll buy the box, but I'll only eat just one because I'm a disciplined individual. And then it's like, well, two fell out of the box. So God must want me to eat too because I picked up the box and I turned it upside down and guess what? Two cosmic brownies fell out. If God didn't want me to have this little Debbie, he wouldn't have put it on the sales rack right as I walked in the door. Greater temptation hath no man than little Debbie. And so he sees through the layers of our lives. He also sees through or sees into the intent. And oftentimes we have this intent. And sometimes it's a good intent, but oftentimes when we make a snide comment, when we say things, when we're subversive, when we, we, we make a situation flex to what we need it to be, our intent is evil. Our intent is poor. Our intent is not godly. And so Christ with his fiery eyes, this, this idea of this purging, this, this, this penetrating look, he's able to see your intent. You know, my intent when I slid my paper to the edge of the desk or when I dropped my pencil, my intent was, oops, but I saw an answer. You know, it's like the guy that's like, <clears throat> hey, how you doing, baby, at the movie theater? And you're like, the intent is what? He's stretching? His arm's tired? It was shoulder day? It was arm day? And he's getting a little tight, so he's got to go mm, around, you know? No, his intent is, I want to hug up on this fine thing beside me. That's his intent. You know, it's like, I just ran out of gas. You won't believe it. Three miles from your house, just ran out of gas. Kitten, my gas gauge is all jacked up. I guess I'm just going to have to pull over here into this vacant lot. <laughs> what? <laughs> You're going to have to, we'll have to, I'm going to have to call him up. Oh, I can't get my buddy. We'll just have to sit here for a while. You know, you're like, nowadays that ain't even funny. You want to know? Because we're thinking he's going to kill me. You're looking for machetes. You're looking for a body bag, duct tape, stuff like that. You're like, this dude's crazy. But, you know, olden days, that was like, you know, you better not run out of gas or have a flat tire on the way home. You know what I'm saying? Because that's makeout time. But now it's not. And see, I didn't even translate. That's fine. So it's layers through into. And then the last one. And he looks with this fiery eyes with a purifying love. And this is something I want you to hear really honestly here tonight. As this, 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 this gaze that he has upon your life to see through and into and into the intent, it is not because he wants to consume you. He wants to consume the sin that is consuming you. Does that make sense? He doesn't want to consume you. This is not a look of harshness or harm upon your life. This is a look of fiery purification on the sin in your life. Why would God seek to destroy something that he died to save? The third part is of this image that we are getting of Christ, this full picture of Christ. The feet are like burnished bronze, verse 18. This part of the picture Christ points out to his firmness to stand and judge the church, a.k.a. his people. And the feet 
are powerful. They are strong. Bronze was, this is the Bronze Age. They are strong. This is a strong metal. So he is able to trample out sin. And so it is not just that he is strong and firm in his standing in judgment, but he is able to trample out the sin that is in this church and in these people's lives and in your life and in my life. And so now that we have this full picture of Christ in this church, we can move to a full picture of the threat to the church. A lot here. There's a lot here. Starting in verse 20 and going down to verse uh, basically 24, 25, there's a lot here to get the full picture of the threat to the church at Thyatira. The threat to this church is this teaching. This teaching by this prophetess Jezebel. Anyone in here named Jezebel? Only the dudes. Nice. That's weird. Okay. So the, the idea is we don't name our children Jezebel. Why not? She was literally, and this is, this is history, she was literally one of the worst people that have ever lived. One of the most evil people to ever walk the planet. If you look at Kings, uh, Second Kings, when she's killed, well, actually, she's prophesied how she's going to die. And then when she's killed, it ain't pretty. Okay? The people that are her friends don't like her so much. Well, the eunuchs that were hers, they throw her out of a window. She goes down. And then Jehu rides his horse over her. Then he feels a little bad, so he's going to go back. And because she's the daughter of a king, he's going to go back and bury her. But he goes back, and all that's left is the skull and the bones. Because the prophecy has come true that the dogs would carry off her flesh. Pretty bad way to die. Pretty bad lady. Pretty bad lady. So we don't name our children Jezebel. So you can mark that one off the name list, okay? If you had it there, just mark it off. Be like, Jesse? Mm-mm. Jesse? Mm. Oh, careful. Just make sure you spell it correctly. Don't turn your S's into Z's and you'd probably be all right. Okay, but some people, your handwriting is really, really poor right now. So, you know, you need to check that. All right, so be careful. Don't name your children Jezebel. Can we just agree on that tonight that we won't name our children Jezebel? We have a few people saying yes. One person's like, I'm going to write that name down, possibly use it if I don't like the child. That's horrible. Don't think like that. Okay? And so you have this prophetess that is teaching this specific teaching. And this teaching is really something that you say, well, you know what, Casey? I don't think that anybody at Temple is teaching sexual immorality I don't think anybody's teaching that. If you look, it says, nevertheless, I have this against you. In verse 20, you tolerate this woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and by her teaching, she is misleading my servants into sexual morality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. You're like, Casey, I'm pretty sure that no one at Temple or any church around here is saying, hey, you need to be sexually immoral and eat food sacrificed to idols. You're right. There's probably not. But maybe there's teaching amongst us that we believe when we talk to one another that is along these lines. Because you say, well, sexual immorality, what is that? <clears throat> what happens is there's a penis and there, oh, y'all probably know that. Everybody pass biology? Don't raise your hand so fast, freshmen. Some of you are struggling, okay? <laughs> You're like, does that mean I don't get to have sex? Yes, in the state of Louisiana, it does. <laughs> You're like, woo, 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 woo. You better start passing, better start studying. Okay, guys, we'll see y'all later. Two people just got up and left to go study. <laughs> it happens, it happens, all right? And so sexual morality, what they're talking about here is oftentimes, specifically here in Thyatira, there were these trade guilds, and so basically clubs. They're trade clubs, when I say trade, I'm not talking about Pokemon cards, okay, or magic cards or anything like that. I'm not talking about trade clubs. So you've got your stone 
fitter people and you've got your pipe people and you've got these people that other do other things that they're needed in the community. You've got all these people that do all these trades. And in order to be in these trades, they generally had a specific God that was their champion. Okay. Does that make sense? Kind of like their emblem, kind of like, you know, uh, football teams. Whoa. You're equating sexual morality to cheering on of fans. Hold on. And so they had this deity that was basically their poster child, poster boy. And they would do certain things in their gatherings. And so it would basically be like you went to a watch party and you got to the watch party and everybody's like, hey, in order for the team to win, we all need to have sex with one another. And you're like, well, they got to win. So let's get busy. <laughs> and you're like, they, do they? That's only Alabama fans. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and only if they're all related. Whoa! <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Appreciate it. All right, you support. And so you had, these, you had these guilds that were like this, this trade societies. And what this lady had done is she had said, you know what, if you want to be part of these trade societies, you have to worship in this way and eat this food. And so at these parties, a.k.a. office parties, a.k.a. club parties, sorority fraternity parties, honor society parties, any gathering of friends or people to where unholy things take place. Yeah. You had a teaching that's basically said, if you want to be part of us, you have to do these things that are not of God. And so you had a church that was what an author called progressive or fast moving. If you notice here, right before uh, 20 in verse 19, it says, your, serv your service and per." perseverance and that you're doing more now than you did at first. And so you had a church that was moving so fast, growing so fast that they had forgotten the church discipline. They had forgotten what they were fighting for, if you will. And so they had forsaken this discipline, this discipline. And the one particular thing, one particular discipline was repentance Often when we grow quickly, we forget the hard things that helped us get there in the long run. Repentance is not only the first step to the cross, it is a continual path that you must follow to the cross until eternity comes. It's just like when you worked out and when you were on track or when you're in the football team or whatever sport or whatever you're kind of using as the metaphor or the garden metaphor, whatever got you there, will keep you there and continually help you grow. That's why when you were playing football, that you still did wind sprints at the end of practice, even during season. You said, but we were in season. You know, you look at the, we got to play. I don't need to be tired when I play. Well, your body's going to recover and it's going to rebuild itself, but you got to keep doing the hard work. And for most of us, the hard work of the Christian life is repentance and being honest with ourselves about the sin that we are super tolerant of, that we are so comfortable with that we don't even think about it. It just happens all the time. And it's like, that's, it's, this is what we chalk it up to, myself included. I go, it's just a character flaw. That's just the part that God is just going to continually try to redeem. And man, I'm, I'm working, but you know what? You may be trying, but you're not training that out of yourself. You have to train in good habits. You have to train in righteousness. You have to train in respect for God's word. Have you ever played a sport and you realized that once you got to a certain level that your talent or, or whatever you had that got you there may not sustain you for the long run? And someone came along and said, you know what? Your throwing mechanics as a baseball player are entirely wrong. You're like, but, but I'm good. They're like, you're good, but you're not. <laughs> you're like, whoa. I had this particularly happen to me when I was in college. I played a lot of racquetball in college, a lot of racquetball. Whatever you do is like your affinity sport. Man, I was in, I played racquetball like ad nauseum. 
I would get run out of the courts. Me and my buddies would get run out of the courts all the time. We'd be playing racquetball till one o'clock in the morning because the cop, it was the last thing he checked before he closed up kind of thing. And we'd be playing racquetball and playing. And man, I was good. I was the best in my friend group. I was rocking it. I thought I was hot stuff. And I had, my girlfriend was still in high school at that time. And the number two racquetball player, 18 and under, was in her grade. And I was like, oh. So I, I met him at a function, at a church function. I said, hey, man, do you want to play racquetball? He goes, yeah, come over to the private club. It's called Pensacourt. And, and we'll play. And I was like, oh, dude. And he was kind of shorter than me, a little bit huskier than I was. And I'm like, I'm fixing to smash this dude. I'm going to annihilate him. I get into the court, and I'm like, hey, man, blah, 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 da, 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 da. How's it going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, let's play. He goes, okay. And he goes, mind if I warm up first? I'm a little cold. You know, he said, I just got through playing uh, this morning, and so I'm a little tired. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. When he's like, bam, 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 bam. I'm like, mom, <laughs> mom. I was like, I got to go to the bathroom and throw up. <laughs> and so we get in there, and we're playing, and I'm hitting, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Nothing. He's returning every shot, and he's doing like this. Like in racquetball, you know, the court's only so big, so you're like, shh, shh. you're moving pretty fast, trying to get back and forth. This is how he's doing. And I'm like, I'm trying to run him across the court, get him tired. No. So we get done. He beats me 11 zip, 11 zip, 12 one. I'm like, but I scored. And he goes, yeah, I hit my foot when that ball went. He's like, I'm not bad. My leg's really tired. I said, hey, uh, Hobie was his name. Kind of funny. He said, I said, Hobie, man, what could I do to improve my game? And he goes, well, you could learn how to hit the ball. I was like, bro, I'm hitting the ball. He goes, yeah, but not correctly. I was like, but I'm returning what you're hitting. He goes, yeah, but he's like, He's like, I'm not trying to be mean. He's like, but you're playing racquetball. He said, I'm actually doing racquetball. And I was like, I don't understand. He goes, you have no backhand. You're forehand heavy. You have no strategy in the court. Your defense is horrible. And I was like, bro, <clears throat> I'm a person. <laughs> and he just is like, man, I said, what would it take for me to get to where you are? And he goes, you'd have to start all over. Yeah, I didn't start all over. <laughs> but you get the idea. Repentance is us. For a lot of us, we say, well, that's starting all over. And it's not. It's not starting all over. It's picking up where you are and starting again and asking God the same way you did when you came to know Christ, saying, God, I'm still not righteous. God, help me become righteous. Forgive me of this sin. They weren't just moving uh, they, they were, weren't just moving forward, they were also moving backwards. They were tolerating teaching against God's will. And we talked about this. We talked about the, the, the teaching of the Jezebel. For us, we may struggle with the same things in our clubs and our friend groups and even in our family. It may be the use of, of foul language in this context or getting attention or it may be the misuse of power that we may have. It may be this idea of pursuing the almighty dollar or over pursuing the deliverer. It means that we may pers pursue faith, uh, I mean fame over faith. And it also mean that, may mean that laboring in the fields of faith may be more about pulling up the weeds so that there's room for new plant growth. That's the problem for, for, for me, is I don't want to go and do the difficult work. But here's something new for you. God wants to do the work. 
He's just asking you to let him in. Let him into your heart. Let him in to where the secret dark spots lie and let him shine his light on them. Let him pull the weeds. You say, well, you know what? The, the wind sprints suck. Yeah, they do. But with his breath, how much better you can run. So they weren't just moving forward and backward. They were also moving in this downward spiral. Verse 22, so it says in here, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the church will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Simply they were choosing Jezebel over Jesus. And so you have this full picture of Christ and now you have this full picture of the church. They were moving forward. They were also moving backward. And now they're in this, this spiral, this downward spiral. And so in verses 26 and 28, he offers something very distinct to those that overcome. Verse 24, he begins and says, I say, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, if you who do not hold to her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, and here's the deep secret, if you want to know what it was, the deep secret was this Nicolaitan idea, this Gnosticism idea that you could separate mind, body, and spirit. And that was important for them because that means that they could go to these feasts, they could have sexual immorality, they could do all these evil things, and that they were doing it with their body and not with their Soul And so their soul could belong to God and their body could belong to the devil. Also, the Gnostics had a, that was the Gnostics idea. The Nicolaitans had a little bit of an idea that in order for me, and you, you, these two are definitely prevalent in our culture, in order for me to uh, know who Satan is and be able to combat him, I need to know a little bit, I need to participate a little bit in, in activities that Satan does so that I know what it looks like, so I know how to combat it. So I don't, I don't do that. It's the number one reason girls look at pornography. They want to know what boys want, so girls look at pornography. I didn't say that. That's what you guys say. People that are your age that are interviewed say, And you say, well, I don't separate what I do with my body from what my soul is, from what my mind is, from who I am. Oh, okay. Your soul had sex with that person, which belongs to Christ. And so you took Christ to bed with your lover, who you're not married to. Christ cheated on that test. Really? No, you, you, you did. But Christ lives inside of you. And he can't be a part of that. Verse 26 and 28, here are the two promises to those who hold onto the heavenly father. Those who, if you look here, it says, learn Satan's so-called deep secrets. I will not impose any other burden upon you. Verse 25, hold on, only hold on to what you have until I come to him who overcomes and does my will to the end. I will give authority to the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them into pieces like pottery, just as I receive authority from my father. Here's the two things. I will give him authority, and, but I will also give him the morning star. To he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And so he will give him authority over the nations. First promise. Authority over the nations is this privileged rule. And so for us, a lot of times we sell the immediate, we want the immediate and we sell out the eternal. And so for you, you need to realize that you are privileged even to know God's word, even to have God as a part of your life. That is a privilege, that is an honor, and it is not something to sell on, to have on sale in your life. 
to discount, Hebrews says, to put on the 50% rack because it's convenient. When we tolerate this sin, we often discount the gospel that we have been given. And then the morning star, that is the presence of God. And so for the church at Thyatira, those who would repent, they would receive honor and privilege and reign. They would receive this gospel that would reign in their hearts and in their minds because they have held on to it. And they would also receive the morning star, which is the presence of God. And so they would continually receive that. Does that make sense? And then it's not something we should just pass by and just say, you know what, that sounds really nice. It is the presence of Almighty God in your life. And that should never be discounted. And so those are the two promises that are offered to those who hold on. Both of these promises are for those who overcome the false teaching, who flee from sin, who won't become lax or tolerant of the lifestyles, habits, or deeds that choke out the good, godly growth of the gospel. And so tonight, for those of you thinkers in the audience, and I know there's a lot, here's the point to ponder. Why are you tolerating teachings that tear your relationship up with the Father? Why are you believing the false prophets, the false prophetesses, the Jezebels, the teachings that are contrary to God's word that our culture provides daily? Why are you believing those? Why do you find them enticing? Why are you following the Jezebel? And the point to practice tonight is a little bit complicated. We've gotten the full picture of Christ. We've got the full picture of the church. And we need a full picture of ourselves. So let's get the full picture of ourselves from God through asking him to show you and I the weeds in our life, the needs in our life, if you will, but these specific weeds that need to be pulled up. So I want you to think of one person, one person that you trust, one person that if you if it's the last person on earth, you know they would never give you up. You know what I'm saying? They would never give you up. They love you so much. Maybe a grandma, a grandpa, a brother, a sister, a really close friend. And they may be in this room or they may be a world away. Okay? But I want you to get that person in mind. In fact, everybody get out your cell phone. I know you got it. Okay? Just get out your cell phone. It's Okay? There you go. Everybody's got it. Get out your cell phone. You think of that one person who loves you. Okay? And I want you to text them what sin you're struggling with specifically, not figuratively. You go, what, what, what did you just say? You, you want me to text my grandma What? Look, I don't know about you, but I know my grandmother. My grandmother on her nightside table was her Bible. It's about that thick, probably because it was big print. And in there was a list. And it had every child's name. So it had my aunt and my father. It had every grandchild's name, great-grandchild's name. And then it had friends. And I have heard her go down the list every night. That's discipline. That's faith. So it may not be your grandmother, and you may not have anyone that you say, Casey, I just don't have a person that I love and that loves me. I just don't have that person. Look, I'll be that for you. 318-514-8098. That's me. I've probably texted you if you've been here once. Because this is what I want us to do. 
I want you to text them what sin you're struggling with specifically. And don't just ask for prayer. Don't just go, Grandma, pray for me. She's already doing that. But she needs to know how to pray for you specifically. We need specificity. Turn to your neighbor and say, specificity. Specificity. We need to be specific because guess what? Hey, look. Here it is. We need specificity because the sin that you're struggling with, it is not generic. It's not generic. It's not a generalization. It is something that it has. You clamped at both wrists and you're like, I'm incapable of breaking free. And Christ is saying to you tonight, let it break free. Let's break free from the sin because let's give a name to it. Let's acknowledge that it exists in your heart, in your life. Let's acknowledge it. Let's tell somebody about it so that they can pray for us so that they can pray with us. And so tonight, that's what we're calling fight clubs. These fight clubs will fight against Satan and sin. If someone shares with you their sin, then you've entered into a fight club with them. Here's the thing with fight club. You don't talk about fight club. In other words, if they text you, if they give you the privilege, if you are privileged enough for them to share this sin with you, you only talk about it with them. That's it. You don't talk about it to anyone else. It's none of their business. The only persons whose business it is, it's their business with God, really. And they're bringing you in because they want to put a name to it and they want some accountability. And this is how you will fight with them and how you will fight for them. You will ask them about it, but more so, you will send them God's word about sin. You don't have to remind them that they're looking at porn. They know. But what you might want to remind them of is that God has given them victory. That he still holds the keys. That the sin that has ensnared them, that they can break free from it through the power of Christ. And they can struggle with it no more. That there is help for them. You will pray and you will fight with the word of God for the soul of your brother and sister so they might hold on. Verse 25, that they might hold on to, that might hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will until the end. This is a community of faith. We are here to build each other up. So fight for someone tonight. Fight with someone tonight. Christ has won the war and we want to win the fight in your life. So let's do the hard work, the heavy lifting of repentance so that the heavenly work of righteousness might continue. And so you're going to have to pull the weeds out. You're going to have to do some more sprints. Recovery time's over. You still got your phone out? You afraid to push send? Are you more afraid of what that person will think of you than what your heavenly father would think of you? And so, Casey, that sounds embarrassing. God embarrassed me now before men so that I might not be embarrassed before my father. I'm going to say, okay, this sounds really, really difficult. It is. 
When I was in college, no one ever asked me to write down my sin and put it in my Bible and ask God's word to cover it, and no one dared ask me to tell them what my sin was that I was struggling with. If this sin has or is dragging you down, we want to help you. And so if you have shared it with someone and you feel like that it is just way beyond just sharing, way beyond just an accountability of a peer or a grandmother, that this is a sin that is going to ultimately harm you, you may need some counseling and we want to help you. And so come and talk to me. If we don't get serious about sin as followers of Christ, how can we ask anyone that is not a follower of Christ to take us seriously? How do we do that? So tonight, we're going to play a little music because that's what Christians do. But you know what people of faith do and communities of faith do? They rally around each other and around God's word and they pray for each other and they let God win battles because he's won the war. He's just waiting to claim victory in your life and mine. And so we're going to sing. And look, if you need to come and pray here at what we would call an altar, I just call it carpet up front. Let's just call it carpet up front. If you need to grab some real estate up front because you just need an active representation of God calling you out and calling you forward and calling you up and you say, you know what? I just want to repent. I just want to make sure that the things that he is doing my, in my life and in my life and through me, I want to make sure that people around me kind of know what's going on and I need prayer. It's not a confession that you're weak. It's a confession that you're strong and that God is getting strong stronger in you when did we as a church as a as a corporate church make movement malice you say okay see that sounds like youth camp that sounds trite man whatever excuse you need to stay in your seat you grab onto it i'd pray you just release it you want free expression in worship to lift your hands, to clap or whatever? How about free expression in repentance and let your actions speak for what has happened in your heart? And man, if your bro, if your sister, if your friend bows at their chair, and starts confessing things and starts repenting and you stand there in judgment, who? I pray that you would be brought to your knees right beside them with your hand upon them and you would just pray for the victory that's taking place in their life right at this moment. And you just say glory to God in the highest. The alpha, the omega is doing work in my friend's life. God, do the same in mine. Walk into the garden of my life and start ripping out weeds left and right and throwing them on the ground so they may die the horrible death that sin deserves so that the seed of the gospel of Christ would rise up in their life and in your life and shine forth so all the world would see that Jesus Christ redeems mankind. Man. I hope you're excited. If you're not, nothing I can do for you. This is God's word to us this evening. I hope you've already practiced some. Let's participate a little bit more. We got one song.